music. It's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Light the fuse, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me as always are my two dogs, Odie and Eclair, and Fred Moreland. Fred, how are you? I'm doing all right. It's been uh, a hell of a week. I am behind on everything, including the G1, which I know you have uh, gone hard on. Um, you want to talk about what you've seen and what you've liked? Yeah, absolutely. If you are a member of the Voice of Wrestling Discord, every night that I watch, I am putting my recommendations with star ratings in there. And what you'll notice is I'm not just recommending the great matches. I'm recommending matches that I think are worth your time. And when I, how I've been doing this is looking at the why behind the matches. So I Alex Coughlin versus Soroki Goto from Night 8 only got a three and a half stars from me. But I thought how they worked the match and how they built it in considering Coughlin got his first win. Spoiler. I thought it was important to watch. And there was one match that I gave uh, three and a quarter. And that was Toru Yano versus Zack Sabre Jr. From night four. Look, it's Yano. Your mileage is going to vary with him, but it was a very funny match. It was done a lot differently than some Yano matches. They, they took a new spin on it and I am a Yano super fan. So that got me really good. And as far as a comedy match was concerned, it's like four and a half, but it's a comedy match. So just the level of work and it's takes it down. Notch. It is not as good as the Yano Tetsuya Naito t-shirt match from, I think the G1 in 2018 that made my match of the year list because that was just the, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in wrestling. Do you remember that match? I do. Yeah, that was great. Uh, and I will also say, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. is a really underrated comedy wrestler. Like, I'm glad that's not his main thing, obviously, because it, it shouldn't be. He's too good otherwise. But he is really capable of doing uh, good comedy. And, uh, you know, he's, he's pretty awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of really good in this tournament. Uh, I have not watched Night 3. I heard a lot of mixed reviews, and quite frankly, I just got behind, and I heard Night 4 was really good, so I just skipped it for now. I will not watch Night 6. Everybody said it stunk, and I'm just like, you know what? That's fine. But I will say the wrestlers of the tournament have been like relative to expectations, because I want to point this out, because otherwise it's Will Ospreay, and it's Will Ospreay with a bullet. Taichi and Yoshihashi have been the two most outstanding wrestlers relative to expectations. Taichi has shown himself 
like you could argue he's a top 15, top 20 worker in the world. He just gets it. He works incredibly hard. He's got all the charisma and he's peaking things at the right time. And his match against Will Ospreay, I gave four and three quarters plus. I almost went five on it. Joe Lanza, the flagship podcast, called it a perfect wrestling match based on how they were telling the story, the work. You couldn't change anything. It was just a phenomenal match. And Yoshihashi has shown incredible growth. And the crowd connection, especially since uh, they did the six-man title story and then Bishamon, he has really turned a corner and gone from a joke to I want to watch this guy wrestle every time he's in the ring. It's it's a really cool elevation for him. And and But the most important thing for this show is Eddie Kingston. Kingston is 2-2 two and two so far in the tournament. He's got four points. His match against Tomohiro Ishii from night eight a couple nights ago was one of the best of the tournament. And I gave it four and a half. Phenomenal match. They worked really hard. Ishii did this spot where yeah, he did a headbutt and he like dove at him. And then he sprung off the the ropes and like speared him with his head. Just an incredible Ishii match. And Kingston was loving every second of it. His selling's been awesome. You can tell how much he loves wrestling in these buildings. He got to wrestle Ishii in Corican Hall. And you can tell how much that meant to him. And the entirety of what this tournament is and how much he reveres Japan. He respects this so much. He's giving 150%. The crowd has really gotten behind him because you can just tell he's he's real. And that's the one thing he's always shown every single time he goes out to the ring. He is unapologetically himself and he shows it every single time. And the fans from Japan have bought in. They see that he's real, he's not fake, and he genuinely loves and respects the business over there in Japan, how they work, the style, the just the culture of what Japanese pro wrestling is. And it's cool to see how he's integrated. There were a lot of people concerned about him in this G1 having like duds. He really hasn't had a true dud, but they could be coming. Uh, very, very f- fun tournament so far. And it's not peaking as high as like 2018. 2018, 2013, like some of like those high-end G1s, you're getting some really good matches, but you're getting some average too. And I think the fact that there are eight block matches matches per night is really hindering this a little bit from peaking super high. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I would recommend this tournament to everybody. It's, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, I am hoping to get caught up on that starting next week, but I just have not got to it yet. Um, I'm trying to keep my head afloat with uh, work in AEW and uh, also trying to work in the, King of Gate uh, tournament for Dragon Gate, and uh, I'm behind on that too, so not exactly uh, killing it on that front, but I will say that uh, if you're at all interested in uh, 
Dragon Gate, I have two four and a half stars from King Gate for them. Uh, the Madoka Kakuda and Masaki Mochizuki match from the, uh, I think it was the first night of the tournament on July 7th was awesome. And then uh, Kota Minora and Nuriki Doi just had a fantastic match on uh, July 9th, both of which are uh, absolute must-sees. Now, if I remember correctly, Nuriki Doi is half of speed muscle, right? Uh, I, yeah, I believe that is correct. I've only started watching Dragon Gate this year, so like you know when um, when uh, Joe uh, on the flagship will like throw up his hands and talk about how it's not what it once was and everything. Like I have no frame of reference for that because I have not watched Dragon Gate before. Uh, I was just like for the past five years, I've been like I should watch Dragon Gate, and then I didn't, and so I decided this year was going to be the year that I uh, that I did that. Um, and, uh, you know, so I don't have the frame of reference of like it being fantastic in 2016 or whatever. Uh, but I mean, I can say that, you know, it's not perfect right now, but it's pretty damn good. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely some good stuff this year from them. I think Kakuda, uh, might be my standout for Dragon Gate for the year. Um, let me look at my numbers right now, but yeah, actually, uh, I have, um, Kakuda as close to my top 10 uh, for the year, which is filled with a lot of the usual suspects, but uh, I think he's having a fantastic year. And Yuki Yoshioka is uh, not too terribly far behind. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm really intrigued by the Shun Skywalker Diamante turn. And like they had, uh, was that last year or was that this year? It was that incredible uh, tag match with Jackie Funky Command, Jason Lee. Oh, uh, let me check my notes. Notes, uh, it might have been last year. It might have uh, been last year, but yeah, I think I, so. That match has stuck with me. It's amazing how they're not that big and they just look like absolute monsters. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, I love, I absolutely adore Big Boss Shimizu. Um, he, 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 I mean, I'm sure that like in another promotion, he wouldn't look that big, but because of the size of most of the guys in this promotion, he just looks like Andre, the giant going out there, uh, basically. And he's a damn good worker. And, uh, I think he could really be something for them. It's kind of surprising that he hasn't got a big push yet, but I mean, he's a total dude. So yeah, of course, Don Fuji. (laughs) This Don Fuji's been, just fun. This is the year I've learned about Don Fuji and uh, Don Fuji rules. He's just a gem. Yeah. And it's, I love wrestlers like that. And he might be my favorite old wrestler at this point in time. Um, all respect I don't, to like every other old wrestler, but I don't think anybody's going to become not more of a favorite old wrestler for me than Yuji Nagata. I love Yuji yeah. Nagata. Don um, Fuji definitely has like, the Dragon Gate twist on Yuji Nakata vibes, though. Oh, yeah. I can totally see that. And unless you're, like, going, like, Sting, which I get, because Sting just does the craziest shit he can think of, uh, whatever possible. But, um, yeah, it's... it's uh, uh, Fuji's a really consistent worker at this age, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, let's... Uh... Let's have, start talking about some AEW news because I think we could just BS about stuff like Dragon Gate for the next six hours. But sure, there, there's a good amount to talk about. Um, and let's talk about contracts. It seems likely 
that the Bucks, Omega, and Page are staying, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Along with that, Roosh has signed a new AEW contract, which he they did a little stage signing gimmick with him and Tony Khan and how Roosh was really excited to be there. And that's just Roosh being Roosh. But what was really interesting, someone in WWE told Dave Meltzer the money was insane. And... Also, per Meltzer, the Rouge versus Jack Perry match went as it was planned. Uh, uh, wait, you're not talking about the one from a little while ago, or yeah, a few Perry. months ago, yeah. Okay, that a bunch of people got freaked out about, and we're like, "Oh my God, Rouge is shooting!" Uh, uh, Meltzer reported that was not the case; that it was actually the entire plan um, that uh, that basically Rouge would beat the hell out of. Uh, Perry for a while, and then Perry would barely win. With the idea being that it would show that uh, Jack Perry was um, a tenacious baby face. Of course, we've kind of moved away from that at this point in time, but yeah, yeah. And I love the fact that Roosh is a locker room leader. And look, we talked about this at the time. Um, we were actually weren't doing the show when Roosh came into the company yet. We just, as we just hit our fiftieth episode last week, and didn't say anything because we're we're brain very good. That's yeah, very good podcasting. But let's let's have a conversation here because Roosh had been known to pull a lot of politics, and he almost didn't show Triple A for Triple Mania. It's one of those deals where, like, Roosh didn't want to lose, and he could play politics in Mexico. And Mexico is an incredibly different beast than American wrestling. It just is, and it's businesses conducted slightly different, and you can get away with some of that stuff, especially when you're a star like Roosh who could sell out Arena Mexico by himself. He has been, to our knowledge, nothing but a good soldier, nothing but a team Model player. citizen. Model citizen, locker room leader, Roosh. And it sounds like a meme, but that's how every report has come out. He's done clean jobs in the middle of the ring. He has been the guy. And I think that's really important in why he ended up getting this contract. Yeah. It's it's a net positive because Roosh is a great addition to your wrestling company and how you want to continue to build upon the idea of having a lot of luchadors. Tony Khan's starting to build up a nice treasure trove of really talented individuals from Mexico. Obviously, the Lucha Brothers were there from day one. Now you have Commander. El Hio Del Vikingo, if he's not signed to a contract, I, I would assume that's coming. And Gravity just appeared on both ROH and Ring of Honor and AEW Dynamite. Yeah. And Roosh, Andre El Idolo. There's a good amount of talent from Mexico, and you, I think you can continue to build on that and try and – I don't want to say make your own division, but utilize these guys in a – in a very lazy take here in a similar way to how WCW used the cruiserweights, give them feature matches, just let them do cool stuff. Yeah. And then you can build stories with them and other people. And I really like that. I I think that there's a lot of meat on the bone. Yeah. I mean, the talent they've got is great. I mean, gravity is probably the weakest one. I see upside with him. I don't know how much, uh, but I mean, worst case scenario, he'll be like a solid big Carter, I guess. Um, but, I mean, the other guys, I mean, they're all fantastic. Like, Commander has really improved in the past year. 
and uh Vikingo is uh he's gone from being a guy that is like the perfect GIF wrestler to like a legit uh maybe top ten wrestler in the world. Uh he's just that damn good. Um, yeah, he's he's not just spots, he is yeah, he's, he's really improved. able to yeah. And I think wrestling so much this year in so many different promotions. Yeah, it feels like half those matches are being as commander, yeah. but they're trying different things. They're trying to build stories within the matches and not just do cool stuff. And that kind of psychology, the match with Kenny Omega on dynamite was that good. Yeah. And then they had the match down in AAA, which was good, but I don't think it was like, it, it wasn't like next level good. Like some of the other stuff, but the improvement is good. Viking was what? 26. It's yeah. not like he's old. Like, no. He got an early start just like Rey Mysterio Jr. And that's honestly his comparison as yeah, far as time, influence, and the ability to just create new stuff. Because Ariel stuff's been around for so long. Rey Mysterio's like the pioneer of a lot of it. But to be able to do unique things in terms of aerial attack, I think is just really, really impressive. Yeah, he's um I mean he's he's special. He's really special. I don't think anyone at this point in time can be as influential to pro wrestling the way Rey Mysterio can just because the way that moves diffuse and everything and styles diffuse it's so much uh it happens so much faster these days compared to the 90s. Um I I and I think uh Vikingo is the best flyer in the world right now. Um and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but I just don't think that it's just not as possible because there's not going to be that that moment where you're you're an American fan in 1995. You're used to like Bobby Eaton being considered a high flyer, you know. Um, and God bless Bobby Eaton; he was a fantastic worker. This isn't a burial of him or anything, but like it's just you know the idea of a high flyer um, was very different in 1994, you know, in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Because there wasn't a lot of Jushin Liger, you would come over sometimes, um, and Great Sasuke wasn't really well known. So, like, if you're just a mainstream, you know, like I watch WWF and WCW guy at that point in time, you know, like you'd be told that like Brian Pillman was the the high flyer guy, you know, and uh, it's just very different. And then Rey Mysterio comes in uh, to WCW in 1996, and it's like. I don't know. It's a, it was an amazing moment. Like the first time you watched him because you know, you see this absolutely tiny guy come out and uh, he just does the craziest shit you've ever seen. And it's completely different from everything else that was on TV at that point in time, as I age myself tremendously, but uh, (laughs) it's the truth. It was just, it was awe inspiring. Um, And I don't think that um, you can really reproduce that today just because of the level of high flyers that are already easily accessible prior to the Kingo. So it's not that kind of sea change uh, moment with him, but he is, he's as good of a high flyer as anyone. And I could be talked into believing he may not necessarily be better than Ray Phoenix right now, but he's definitely having a better year than Ray Phoenix because, you know, Ray Phoenix spent half the year in the ring of honor hinterlands. Yeah. And, it's good to cycle people in and out, like kind it of talking is. about Phoenix. They're back on TV. Death Triangle is reunited. And 
we're going to talk about the fact that they're about to go full on feud with the Blackpool Combat Club, which I think is really awesome. I'm very excited to kind of talk about that. But we have some more news that we need to get to here, Fred. And let's talk about Blood and Guts. We discussed Kota Ibushi last week and how he kind of... Some people uh, say he looked washed. I thought it was a factor of the match. And the fact... like He really hadn't wrestled much. He had the two spots in GCW, which got mixed reviews. Obviously, one being Bloodsport against Speedball. But I thought that was really good, considering the confines of what Bloodsport is. And the other being, well, it was Joey Janela. And they did Joey Janela things. And it was like felt like 40 minutes too long but it was it was a good good work yeah. they worked really hard you can't knock that well apparently kota bushi blamed his performance in blood and guts on thumbtacks and glass penetrating his boots early on in the match well if you've never been in a match like that which i doubt kota bushi has yeah, yeah i could see that happening yeah i you know i i'm not terribly concerned moving forward i thought he maybe looked didn't look great uh but all the same like i don't think that's the match to judge him by uh frankly uh we'll pay attention to him moving forward when he pops up again it may not be until wembley i think he i think he mentioned online that he would be at wembley um but i just don't foresee uh i i I don't think we'll get a chance to really evaluate him until possibly then so yeah, I think I'm one. I'm really excited to see Kota Bushi again. I would guess we're gonna see, and I could be wrong. A tag match at All In, maybe Golden Lovers versus uh, Kanosuke Takeshita and X, whoever that X would be. It feels like it Jericho, might be Chris Jericho, yeah. but the rumor is, according to Fightful, that it's gonna be Will Osprey versus Chris Jericho at All In, which. I'm really excited about. Obviously, Jericho physically is not what he was 10 years ago. He's not what he was two years ago. But his mind is still sharp as attack. And outside of the Adam Cole match, his matches have been really good. They're put together well chemistry-wise. And we know Will Ospreay is going to work his ass off. He might be the hardest-working wrestler in the entire world right now. And this feels like a dream match kind of thing. He just beat Okada in the G1. He's getting Marafuji at his anniversary show at the end of August, which he's always wanted a Marafuji match. And now he gets Chris Jericho, theoretically. Yeah. I think that match could be phenomenal considering what Chris Jericho's mind still is with the business, and they can build that match up. I think that could be good. But it feels like we could maybe see Ibushi again at All In, and then you get Omega Takeshita at All Out. At, as like a well, one week build because uh, it's it's like a preview tag, but a preview tag with those guys could still be like a four and a half to five star oh, match yeah. if everything goes right. If everything so goes right, it, yeah. you're not cheating the fans at Wembley by giving them a preview tag because the preview tag will be awesome. That's yeah. my fantasy booking. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what does happen. Happen. Um, I think there's. Honestly, I think we have to kind of discuss this here. Uh, I thought we'd get a lot more clear direction moving forward towards the all-in, all-out combo from this past week's Dynamite, and we really didn't, I didn't think, uh, at all. I'm kind of surprised by how relatively little uh, 
hints we got moving forward and uh, storyline directions. I do think they have several storylines going on, obviously coming out of that show, but it wasn't as much as I expected. Part of that's probably because the Young Bucks were in Hawaii, um, just uh, resting after trying to kill themselves, and uh, Kenny Omega had the week off too. Um, See, I disagree. I'm going to fight you on this, right, and here's okay. why. They, they've they planted a lot of seeds. Now, there are some it seeds, have, yes. It may not have been explicit. They opened the show by calling it the road to Wembley at All In. So yeah. the theory that they weren't trying to promote the show enough, well, they didn't want to gloss over blood and guts, but they still mentioned it on every, every episode of TV that they had All In. Um, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, they have distributed 76,929 tickets around approximately 70,400 paid. And that's a near $9 million gate at this point. And we only have one official match. And that's Luchasaurus versus Darby Allen for the TNT title. And that's for that's Chicago, it. isn't it? I thought it was all in. I thought it was all out. Google that quick. I think it's all yeah, in. Sure, I got, I'm on it. Uh, to be tap, tap, tap. Because... Tap, tap, tap. Like they planted so many seeds, and we're going to talk about Death Triangle and the Blackpool Combat Club. Now you have uh, Swerve Strickland and AR Fox reuniting, like it's Lucha Underground, which I think is a nice little touch, uh, considering you had. Uh, that is official I, it for was, all out. Oh, I was wrong. Wow. Um, kill me. So. That, you know what could be cool? You get Nick Wayne and Darby Allen versus Luchasaurus and, and Christian. That could be a fun match. I'm looking at, like, what was it? Um, was it uh, Swerve Strickland was kill shot? Mm-hmm. Was AR Fox just AR Fox? No, it was Dante Fox in Lucha Underground. Yeah, yeah. So if you've never seen their version of the three stages of hell, high, high, high recommend you seek that out. It's on YouTube. It's phenomenal. It's story laced. It's bloody and gory. It's everything about culminating a blood feud all wrapped into one. Cannot recommend enough, but they reunited on this show and MJF told Adam Cole, he'd give him another title shot. Yeah. Like they told us a bunch of what's going to happen on these two shows, but we don't have anything explicit yet. And I think that's fine considering we're four weeks out from the pay-per-view and they still have four collisions, three dynamites and four rampages left to be able to get everything out and to really formulate these cards in the public eye. I have no issue, especially excuse me, because you've already distributed your 77,000 tickets for Wembley. You don't have to build a card immediately. Tony likes these slow builds where you do a, a couple here, a couple there. I would guess we're going to have something announced on a collision, especially if MJF and Adam Cole end up beating FTR for the titles. That rematch probably happening at Wembley. Then I'd guess MJF versus Adam Cole at all out. Like there, We're going to get this soul rolled like every other AEW pay-per-view. Sure, yeah. And I, I really have no issue with how they've gone about this. They sold the mega gate already. Yeah. Now... They, they did not want to usurp blood and guts. That got a really good rating. They packed nearly 10,000 people into uh, TD Garden Arena in Boston. But we're also looking at a company that's, it feels like they're down year over year. They're actually up in attendance year over year in terms of dynamite. 
because collision is we're gonna have to judge that separately because sure yeah it's you're now adding a full-on extra show every single week that's gonna skew your overall attendance numbers year over year but just dynamite's up a little bit year over year even though it feels like they're down and here's the thing you're gonna get fluctuations with attendance you're gonna get stuff that's super hot and you're going to see it stuff that's it's good, but it's not moving as much business. And this is just a period in the company where things aren't super, super mega red hot right now. And that's okay. Yeah. They're still doing good, good business. Warner's asking them for more television time. That that's should tell you how well they're doing on the, on the business side of things. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that, um, they're going to be profitable as soon as they sign their next deal with um, with Turner, which it seems pretty presumptuous that it's going to be Turner. Um, or pretty likely, I guess I should say. Um, but I think that's uh, definitely going to happen, and they'll get enough of a rights increase where AEW will actually be a profitable company uh, because they have been running at a loss since the creation because it's start of costs and all that. You know, it's part of the deal. Um, yeah, uh, but... I, I think, you know, I listened to, um, I actually sat down and listened to uh, Brandon Thurston and um, and Eric Bischoff, um, which is an interesting combination. Um, but, you know, th- uh, Bischoff's concerns, I, I listened to him and they were pretty understandable, actually. Um, I, I realized that I dunk on him some for just some out of, out of lunch stuff. But I think a lot of it is, is kind of PTSD from uh, what happened to WCW under his watch. And mm-hmm. a lot of it was based around, well, maybe Turner will just have someone come in and decide they don't want wrestling anymore. And, um, I mean, they've already sh- had changes in leadership since the launch of AEW, and they've been consistent in their support for AEW. And um, it's pretty apparent just how much AEW means to them as a network in terms of programming. They keep asking for more. So I, I think that um, AWS has a very solid future. I think it's fair to be critical of the lack of growth over the past year, but I mean, also they've plateaued as one of the you know as having two of the top ten TV shows on yeah. cable each week. So I also I guess- that's the thing, though. You you just pointed out right there. Mm-hmm. If they're not growing much year year over year as far as the ratings but they're still consistently number one or number two every single week on television. And what they care, what what, what Turner cares about, sorry to cut you off. And what Turner cares about is those nightly rankings. Yeah. If you're ranking number one or number two, but overall everything is down, that's more on the consumer than it is on the program itself because less people are watching TV. Yeah. TV's changed so much in the past decade, two decades, you know, do you know what I do when I watch TV? I, so I've I've got all kinds of apps and gimmicks and stuff, and I've, I've got this really cool thing that helps me do my job as far as college football. But outside of that, I've been watching, like, I've been binging seasons of Big Brother. Like, I've been watching them on Paramount+. Plus. I, I can do, like, about a season a week because of what my job is, and I just sit on my couch, and I work, and I have it on in the background. Like, that's TV watching nowadays. People aren't going to, like abc or cbs and watching these daytime talk shows nightly television isn't nearly as popular especially with this demographic as Mm -hmm. it was 15 years ago i used to love watching like the the oc on fox the teen soap opera it was 14 
I loved that show. I watched it every single week. Then my dad saw two girls making out and he almost made me turn it off. That was one of the funniest conversations I've ever had with my dad. And he like, that, that was how TV was consumed then. Now you have, everybody's got multiple streaming services. Not, not to mention you could be having your cable TV as a streaming service, Hulu TV, YouTube TV. I've got Fubo through my work with USA Today. That's how people are consuming television now. So you can't just go buy off Nielsen ratings for every ounce of what's happening. Some of these streaming apps are included. Some of them aren't. I watch Dynamite through the TBS app because my Fubo doesn't have it, and I don't want to pay for a subscription. So I use my parents' Dish Network login to watch it. Those numbers aren't aren't exactly counted either, to my knowledge. There's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts, but all the collective data, Turner's obviously very happy with it, and it's a completely different market from what it was in the 90s when everybody was watching TV. And it's it's changed so inherently much. It's You can only compare it based off of last year, but then you have to contextualize with what's going on in the market right now because you're not getting a lot of net shows that have point fours. The ones that are getting point fours and above are live sporting events. Now, wrestling is a sporting event, but it's a niche. Yeah. And NFL games do like twos and threes and fours and like Thanksgiving games will do like tens in the Super Bowl. In the demo. Yeah, the Super Bowl, the demo will be like 25. Because they're they're doing a hundred million people watching that game. Yeah, you have to it's you have to contextualize it versus what the whole market is doing as far as TV, and AEW is doing pretty damn well in every single time slot that they're in. It's it's not like you know, WCW Nitro where you got five point three million viewers, you were number one on the night. Like you're not getting anybody watching five point three million, which yeah. is just one show. Outside of like, I don't know, NFL, the biggest uh, NBA games, college football, maybe like the Oscars and stuff like that, like not much breaks 5 million these days. The biggest Uh, NFL games, regular season and postseason, non-Super Bowl, do between 30 and 50 million. Regular season, they peak around 30, 35. Yeah. But that's like a mega regular season game, like Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. Yeah, that was doing those kind of mega numbers. Like if Aaron Rodgers played the Packers, that would I I actually don't know if that game can happen unless it's the Super Bowl the next couple of years because of how the the Jets and Packers literally just played last year. Yeah, that it, like that stuff matters, right? Uh, but yeah, it, it's just uh, it's just very different. Um, so let me ask you this: Would you recommend yeah, sure. giving that a listen? Is is it worth your time to seek out? That one episode I thought was pretty interesting because I think Brandon Thurston's awesome. Um, I think it's a fair discussion of what AEW is. If you're like an AEW sicko who thinks the company can't do anything wrong, uh, which, you know, we're pro AEW. We like the promotion and we like what it does for the most part. Um, But I think that, like, we're we're also capable of pointing out the flaws of the promotion and the shortcomings. Uh, And I'm going to be pointing out some of this later when we get to the shows this week. but like, as long as you can, like, you won't freak out, you know, like, I don't think Thurston says anything overly negative about the promotion, but like is realistic about what's going on with it. Uh, Bischoff does not like AEW. 
Um, but he, you know, in this episode, I can't speak to other ones because, you know, it's not really something I'm terribly interested in. Um, relitigating the Monday Night Wars for the five millionth time. Um, but in this episode, he's, you know, he's he's fair in his criticism, I have to actually say. I think he's misinformed on some of it. But um, I think he's, it's not like, you know, the Jim Cornette clips that get passed around where it's just screaming about how the promotion is, uh, you know, mudge, mudge, you know, outlaw mud show bullshit. Um, it's like actual, gra- actually grounded in concerns. And some of them are realistic and some of them, you know, aren't. But I mean, even the un- unrealistic ones, I think, uh, come from a viable place. So yeah, uh, A plus list on that because of Thurston. Um, and I think he did a fantastic job on there. Yeah, Thurston's tremendous. And his view on wrestling is, obviously, if you don't know, Brandon Thurston, host of WrestleNomics, he's a professional wrestler. So he looks at things from such an analytical point of view. I think it, his voice is so necessary in wrestling media because of how he looks at it. And he lets the data tell you most of it. And then intertwines like, okay, well, how are they building this? How are they losing their viewers? And then goes off into like analysis versus people who just kind of watch the the product and talk about it. Like it's so data driven that a voice like that is so important. And he's he's tremendous. Yeah, really intelligent stuff that he does. Um, yes. Let's do some uh, quick hitters here, all right? Uh, I'm going to run us through the rest of the news. How about that? Do it. All right. Um, today's uh, Wrestling Observer newsletter reported that there are about 76,929 tickets out for All In. About 70,400 are paid, and the gate is around $9 million, which is just tremendously successful. Um, Fred, I, I already mentioned that. Well, we're mentioning it again. Um, Death Before Dishonor digital buys uh, were down from the last show. They He doesn't have TV numbers yet. He expects them next week. Uh, that would be the lowest spot uh, Ring of Honor show under Khan. And I think that's what it should be because, I mean, first of all, you've got the bill pretty much entirely on, um, on uh, the, the Honor Club service, which I don't think is... I would be shocked if those subscriber numbers have not decreased since the last one we got uh, because I'm still subscribed, but I haven't had the motivation to even open it uh, since like the first week of that TV because really ring of honor TV right now is like red and black dark. Um, It's just, yeah, I I don't need to watch a 14 match show where six of the matches are like squashes. Like that's just not what I need to do with my life. (laughs) So, um, Aussie Open says the reason they joined AEW is that they, when they asked New Japan for contracts so that they could have some stability, New Japan, we said that yes, but not now. So they looked at AEW, got an offer, and made the jump. I'm sure that they will still appear in New Japan some going forward. They're still United Empire. They are. Um, JR is hoping to be back by Wembley. That's not uh, like a definite date, but that's his personal goal. Um, obviously, I mean, look, we shit on his modern work a lot. Um, but I do think that having him briefly involved with the show in some manner, maybe call a match or two would be reasonable. I mean, he's JR. Here's the thing. They need to utilize JR and pivot like they did with Mark Henry. Cause the idea is to have Mark Henry as a rampage commentator that lasted what a, a week, couple, two yeah, weeks. Not very long, no. yeah, JR is a relic. He is phenomenal 
like his password. He has yeah. some of the best calls in wrestling history. He doesn't have it anymore. No. And that's okay. But there's still value in having Jim Ross. You can have him do backstage stuff. He has always been really good at the sit-down interviews. Find a way I, to use him. He can be an acceptable announcer when he's involved, when he's invested in the matches. Uh, he is not invested in most matches these days on the week-to-week. Um, I think for, like, Wembley, you have him come out for um, whatever the main event is, maybe the top two matches. I think you do the entrance for him. It makes it feel like a bigger moment for that match because of all the cachet Jim Ross has from his career. Uh, and I think, you know, he'll probably be very interested in that match and will do, you know, what a modern good job by Jim Ross job, you know, announced call is. Um, it's not 1998 Jim Ross, but, you know, it's, you know, 25 years later. That's just what happens. Maybe he gets the projected Will Ospreay and Chris Jericho match. Yeah. That, I think that, that sounds like a match that Jim Ross would be really invested in because he, would be. he likes Will Ospreay. And obviously yeah. the connection with Chris Jericho lasts a long time yeah and those are you know those aren't the matches where he starts saying the wild shit that we're all like what are you doing man um so yeah and of course we hope that he continues to recover well i mean again just because he's not a good announcer means i want him to you know break his face you know poor guy uh wheeler utah apparently worked death before dishonor with a partially torn hamstring which uh Wait, did he have a match there? That's why he missed the show, I think. My note was bad. Good job, me. I'm a professional. No, he, he wrestled blood and guts with that, and then he yeah. appeared on Death yeah. Before Dishonor. He, he was involved in the main event, but he didn't have a match. I, I like typing things and not like analyzing them. They just garbage in, garbage out. Um, producers. we got to talk about producers, uh, I guess. Uh, Chris Hero is in full-time as a producer, which is awesome because Chris Hero is a, a really smart guy. Um, we also got, uh, Orange Cassidy doing some producing work and, uh, they gave a producer tryout to Scotty Tuhati. I have no idea what Scotty Tuhati's view of professional wrestling is. Like we know Pat Buck loves WWE stuff. We know Jimmy Jacobs likes a lot of that stuff too. Chris Hero is exactly the epitome of what AEW is kind of his view of professional wrestling. Look at how he's built up West Coast Pro over the past six months. Yeah, yeah. Kind of shows they're running. And what he liked or was involved with in professional wrestling at when he was a full-time wrestler, That that's a great add to the room. I'm thrilled that they ended up making that move to bring in Chris Hero. And maybe, just maybe, Joshi Talent will be booked and be used in a better spotlight. Yeah, um, honestly, Chris Hero rules, <laughs> so uh, I, I'm happy to see him around AEW. This, That's this is step one to making Griffin Peltier's dreams come true. Bring back uh, Chris Hero. Chris Hero return tour. Um, future world champion Chris Hero. Um, Santana is training for his return uh, after his awful knee injury la- in last year's Blood and Guts. And uh, Ian Rickabone mentioned on Ring of Honor TV that Dante Martin is progressing ahead of schedule in his return from his awful broken leg he suffered in that ladder match earlier this year on pay-per-view. Um, so we'll see Great when news. he returns. Yep, very good news for him. Uh, let's get to the weekly shows, man. Uh, you want to talk about Death Before Dishonor? I watched a little bit of Death Before Dishonor. I did not get a chance to watch the whole show like you did. 
But I think one of the big things about Death Before Dishonored is the build fucking sucked. And yeah, there's yeah. really no other way you can say that. They had one match announced eight days before the pay-per-view. And then that match got canceled because Mark Briscoe got hurt. Yeah. Uh, really it's... rough build. Yeah. But never doubt Tony Khan putting on a good pay-per-view. Yeah, the, the AEW roster is too good to blow pay per view. Now, I I, I did see uh, Sean Cedor uh, calling for people to review uh, Ring of Honor uh, in the the Slack last week, and I responded, uh, "I can't do it because I'm out of town. Otherwise, I'd give you another excuse." Um, which is the level oh, I saw that my level of excitement for the show, but they definitely exceeded expectations. And then some, uh, this is a really good show. You could, should go out of your way to see. I gave it like a nine out of 10 overall. Um, no, like real match of the year contenders, but it had, uh, shoot, how many, one, two, it had three, four and a half star matches for me. And like any show that has that many is doing a damn good job. Um, I loved uh, just about everything on this show. I, the worst match was Samoa Joe and Dalton Castle, which was a lot of stalling and then basically just Joe murdering. Um, but other than that, like every match, I think was at least three and a half stars in my book. Um, so yeah, if you got the time, like check this out. Uh, Willow Nightingale and Athena was really damn good. Um, easily, I think the best American women's match of the year. Um Lots of good stuff to check out there. So uh, strong thumbs up on that. Um, One match that I heard was really good that I'm, I'm going to seek out other than the top two was the fight without honor between uh, yes. Dark Order and uh, um, The Righteous and Stu Grayson. Heard that match was awesome. Yeah, um, that was one of my four and a half star matches. And you could make the argument that was the best match of the night. Um which I definitely wasn't expecting, but uh, everyone had their working shoes on for that. And uh, I mean, it was total plunder, uh, but I mean, like it was really, it was a really good uh, hardcore match. Um, so thumbs up on that one for sure. Um, so that's all I've got on that show. Really? Uh, it didn't build anything going for, well, it did build some stuff going let's forward. Talk about, let's a, talk about the angle at the end of yes. the world title match. So, yes. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. Claudio beats Pack with interference from uh, Wheeler Yuta. Four and, and a quarter we get, stars. We get a reuniting of the Death Triangle mm-hmm. with the Lucha Brothers coming out to support Pack, and then that bled over to the main event of Dynamite. And look, easy transition. The the Elite and the Blackpool Combat Club did their handshaking, which I'm very intrigued to see how Brian Danielson's going to handle that when he comes back. That could end up being the end of the BCC. We'll see. But they it was just an instant transition over to a new feud. And Tony Khan deserves a lot of credit here, Fred, because he took a situation where you had a in, like injury stuff where you couldn't have Brian Danielson, and then you couldn't have Eddie Kingston. So then you had to get a mercenary in pack. Well, yeah. it worked in kayfabe. And then Claudio just hits pack one time. He's like, screw this. I'm done. And yeah. now all of a sudden you just transitioned immediately into a great feud. He took a negative and spun it positive. Yes, he deserves that, a lot of credit for that. That was smooth. That was a nice way to get a good main event going for Death Before Dishonor. Get it featured on AWTV, which is the biggest reach they have for that. And uh, that was really well done. Another thing for the Ring of Honor show is to mention that Best Friends and uh, the Lucha Bros have been in a feud going on for a while now. 
and uh, they uh, they came out, and uh, when the Lucha Bros came out after the main event to fight off uh, BCC, uh, the best friends came out to fight with them too, and then that of course led to Orange Cassidy coming out uh, as support for them, and um, uh, Orange punching uh, Claudio, no Wheeler Yuta, I think it was. Uh, and that set up basically the open of the show where John Moxley attacked uh, Orange Cassidy after the, uh, the opening match of Dynamite, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, Rampage, I'm not going to recommend anything off of that. Um, the Royal Rampage was a disappointment. Usually their battle royals are more entertaining than that. This was like filled with a bunch of Jags and like Darby and Swerve. So it was obvious like who the final guys were going to be, and they didn't really do a long closing stretch, so not worth it, really. Uh, I'm not going to recommend either of the other two matches on there, but I will say that both over-delivered relative to what I expected from them. Marina Shafir and Chris Statlander actually put on a respectable match, which I was not expecting. Uh, I don't think much of Shafir as a worker, but she did pretty damn good there, and Statlander is up and down that night. I'll give Shafir this. I don't think she's a good worker either, but there's effort every single time. And yeah. I, I can at least let some of the, the sloppiness pass because you can tell she tries really hard. Yeah. And I, I appreciate and that. I can I, I will take with, with subpar if you give me a lot of effort. Yeah, uh, I will take ugly, uh, but, tr- you know, like effort filled ugly over like just step by step ugly every day of the week. Speaking of ugly, I didn't mention this. You need to go out of your way to watch Shingo Takagi versus Mad Mikey Nichols. Okay. In the G1. The finish was ugly. Okay. But it worked okay, because cool, it was cool. within the confines of what the match was. Mikey Nichols has been really good in this G1. He's just working like a bat out of hell. Like he has nothing to lose. Awesome. And it's it's been awesome. It really has. Good for him. Here's a Claire. <laughs> we got a dog run in from the new dog. Uh She's a Looks good girl. Like, yeah, she's she's lovely. Uh, collision. Uh, first of all, there were so many damn recap videos on this thing. Now, I know it was a big week between Death Before Dishonor and Blood and Guts, so mm-hmm. I get it. But it still felt like even for that, there was a ton of recap videos. And I did not AEW Velocity, baby. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, well, Collision was... Um, I mean, it was not... It didn't feel like a great... AEW show this week. I I was pretty down on the TV in general compared to other weeks. Uh, nothing really terrible uh, as far as like show wide, but you know this just wasn't it. Uh, the only match on there that I'd really recommend was the main event with Starks and Christian against Punk and Darby, and that was like that's kind of a weak recommend because it was nearly thirty minutes long and it only hit like three and three quarter stars for me. Um, so given all the wrestling out there, it's definitely not must see. Um, especially if you're just kind of being a tourist with AEW TV right now. And then Billy Gunn teased retirement after the House of Black Bash, which looks practically like an angle. Um, we'll see where that goes moving forward. But, of course, the storyline was that the Acclaimed and Gunn were coming in to uh, challenge House of Black for the trio's titles, um, really. And the Acclaimed were all about you know getting Billy Gunn one last title run before the end of his career. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, basically, House of Black uh, murked him right away, and uh, Gun had a nice little show fire spot right before eating a black bass and uh, getting pinned. Um, and then after he took his boots off and kind of shoved the acclaimed away. So we'll see where that goes. Um, 
How about the start to that match where Buddy Murphy, as they're making their entrance, just bolts out of the ring yeah. and gives a, a flying V trigger to Max Gaster? Yeah, it wasn't great a great thumb jock stuff. Yeah, it wasn't a great match, but it was an interesting angle if you're invested in those guys. So that'll that's something to take your time out to watch if you care a lot about the acclaimed or House of Black. And yeah. then Dynamite. Um, all right, let's talk about the, the biggest thing from this Dynamite, I think, which is honestly what was nearly the worst match of the year that I've seen, uh, which is Britt Baker and Taya Valkyrie. That match was atrocious. Um, I went three-quarter star on that, which a, I've only given two matches under one star that were not squashes this year. And the other one was Bray Knight and, uh, or I'm sorry, Bray Wyatt and LA Knight um, in their Mountain Dew pitch black match at the Royal Rumble, which was just a total joke. Um, and I gave that half a star. This match, you could argue to me, was even worse in terms of just the in ring. Um, just some awful, awful work. There was a big botch where Taya was supposed to be teasing the, uh, you know, the, Right of the Valkyries and just kind of drop Brit. Um, yeah, there are people defending Ty in that spot. She controls the spot. She controlled that spot. So no, I, I you can see I, when Britt Baker dropped down and looked awkward. Taya like moved her, and she thought that was the spot, so she dropped. Yeah, that's all Taya. Yeah, and we have defended Taya on this show. For oh no, no, I I give Taya a lot of credit for doing way better than I expected in the Jade Cargill match. I don't. That I'm not Jade like Cargill a match was a notebook match for me. Yeah, it was, and, and that feud was, was good. Um, yeah. it was probably the most interesting thing Jade had done in a year, maybe. Um, but Taya, you know, I I I don't think Taya is a great worker uh, or even a good worker. She's about average, maybe, maybe a little below, depending on how charitable. Or not, I'm feeling, I guess. Um, but I will say that up to this point in AW, her her work has been, you know, better. Well, way better than this. Uh, and Britt Baker, you know, you you have said before that she's tofu, that she just takes on the qualities of whoever she's facing and the circumstances of that match. Um, she can have good matches, but she has to be in the right circumstance. And this was absolutely not the right circumstance for Britt Baker to have a good match. Um, this is probably not what you would expect from them. I, I don't think that you're, you know, writing down in your booking sheet, Brick Baker, Taya Valkyrie, and then like just planning on it being a worst match of the year contender. Um, but I mean, that's a possibility when these two get to get together and that's what we got. Um, so this was just, uh, just sloppy and bad. Um, Taya, uh, did some running spots that looked atrocious. Um, and then for Max Comedy, immediately after the finish of the match, immediately. And this is like a WCW level moment to me. Um, like when you do the LOL WCW stuff, um, this is right up there. Right after the match, uh, when Britt gets the submission win, um, they cut to a crowd shot, which zooms in on one sign in particular. And why they decided to zoom in on this sign at all, I can't fathom. But that sign said, book the women's division better. I I, I don't know what the hell is going on in that production truck where like anyone thought that was a great idea. Um, unless that was like a double-sided 
sign and it just got flipped around at the exact right moment, but I didn't see any motion like that with the sign. Um, I, I can't fathom being like, yes, let's put that on TV. Um, I'm going to hold off on burying it because we look, we've talked a lot about Tony Khan in this women's division and how he hasn't really put a lot of quote unquote effort into it. And you can kind of take that however you want what you believe effort to be because at, at the end of the day, this women's division isn't very strong and there's a lot of nuance that we just don't know behind the scenes, like how available are some of these women and like, it's major injury concerns for sure yeah all the outcasts probably just had the night off like there's so much nuance to it now should the women's division be booked stronger and better i i don't think you're going to get anybody that says no it could absolutely be booked better and they could be utilized more considering how many hours of television there currently are in aw per week that's five hours of tv you can do more with these women but it's it's a more complicated issue than that it's the lack of development with international talent when the idea was to really make this like a Joshi heavy women's division because of how tremendous those women are as wrestlers. Yeah. They didn't catch on early. They didn't really put a lot of behind anybody other than Riho and Hikaru Shida when they probably should have pushed Yuka Sakazaki a lot more considering how mm-hmm. talented she is. You have Hayashi Shida who was only on ring of honor television and she didn't even get an entrance video. She was just in the ring. She was in the top 10 match of the year last year with Shuri. That that uh, yeah. 30 minute draw that they ended up extending longer. And then it, the ref just called it as a draw. That was phenomenal. It was great. If you haven't watched that match, please go seek it out. I believe it was um, mid June of that. No, it wasn't last year. It would have been two years ago because I watched it in my old apartment, 2020. One phenomenal match, but they're the women that they bring over, they're not, and it's politics too. Maybe they're only in for a one shot, but you got to treat them better. You have to like make them feel like a big deal, especially if they're going to lose. Like that, that's important. Yeah. And it, it felt the like they gave up on the, the Joshi experiment like real fucking fast, too. Well, part of that's pandemic. Sure, yeah, the pandemic, but like once the pandemic resumed or ended, essentially, relative to like the total shutdown stuff, uh, there is not absolutely no interest in resuming that from AEW management. Um, yeah, it's there's a lot of reasons why the women's division could be booked better. There's a lot of reasons why it's currently not. It's a very complex issue that is has no real answer other than. I think the addition of someone like Chris Hero could make a massive difference with how this women's division is because of how he's booked the women at West Coast Pro. And he understands a lot of talent in the women's division. And I think that could be a massive influx and it could be really good. But I will say, very rarely has the top booked women's program been booked poorly. It's been booked pretty well. Yeah. Like the, the women that are given time are given good things to do. And I, I think that can't be lost to translation either. There's a lot of angles you can pursue with this. But at the end of the day, we need more continuity and consistency with the women's division. And I'm hopeful that the addition of somebody like Chris Hero with his experience can help with that. Yeah. But, I mean, first of all, I just want to focus just on showing the sign in the first place. Like, just how wild that is. Because, I mean, imagine that, like, you know, after that half-hour bloodline segment on SmackDown a couple weeks ago, 
they cut to directly to a sign that said this has been the same shit for a year or something. Um, and just zoomed in on that. Like, it's just completely self-defeating and bizarre. And uh, I just can't, uh, you know, I can't fathom it, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, it has not been a strong month for the women's division. I think there's some a lot of exterior factors at play there. Uh, two of their top women have been out with injuries. Uh, Thunder Rosa has been out for a long time now. And of course, Jamie Hayter has her issue. Um, it's just not a great spot right now. Uh, moving on to the next subject, I wanted to ask you I about. I bring that. this up because oh, I forgot sure? to I forgot to mention this within the context of it. Because of how the women's division has been booked, and Tony Khan is as online as anybody when it comes to understanding the pulse of his fan base. Very curious to see if they intentionally had that in the camera shot to build to something long term. That that felt more intentional than oopsies and. I, I'm very curious how this plays out. And one thing we've learned with Tony Khan, the follow-up is more important than what actually happened itself. How are they going to build off of it? How are they going to continue to grow whatever X is? And that felt more intentional than anything. If it was a botch, then bury him all to hell. You can't do that. To me, that felt intentional. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. That's like, I think that's a terrible angle to work if that is an angle because basically what you're doing is you're telling the audience our show is bad actually and trying to make that an angle. And it's like, it just, that doesn't work out well ever. Um, So I thought that was just amateur hour shit, frankly, uh, when they cut to that side. Jack Perry, I want to talk about that promo. What did you think of his big heel promo? And then Jerry Lynn coming out. Are we really going to do this ECW thing? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I need round 5,000 of I'm a grizzled vet from ECW and I'm tired of you young kids disrespecting me. The, the Bully Ray special. Now, if they end up doing... Jack Perry versus Taz. I, I will forgive all transgressions. I think that, that. No, of course they're not going to do that, but that would rule. Oh and yeah. It would, but... Taz would just be like, he'd just be kicking him in the yam bags and just trying to choke him out and throw him around the ring. And you know, Jack Perry would sell for him. And then all Jack would need to do is hit like one finisher and you call it a day. Taz hasn't taken bumps in 20 years. Yeah, like that's all you need to do, and it could be really fun. It could give the the crowd something really cool that you get Taz in the ring. Taz has has motivation to get in the ring and want to kick the crap out of Jack Perry. I don't I, know where this is going to go, and this is what we I talked about earlier. The follow up matters more than this standalone promo. Is this just going to be a, another ECW tribute gimmick when every company in the fucking world? has done ECW tribute stuff. Impact, GCW, ROH, WWE. Like, I want to know what we're getting here. I want to see how this is going to progress because I'm not excited about it right now, but I'm willing to change my mind if they give me something. Yeah, um... 
I don't know. I mean, they're not even labeling their thing next week as a match. So I, it's like a face-to-face or whatever they're calling it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of I'm curious about what it does become, but I, I don't know. I mean, first of all, Jerry Lynn's not exactly, you know, the, the greatest promo either. So, you know, I, I, I wasn't super impressed with what Jack Perry did. It felt like a lot of heel 101. Um, I think his, his delivery is improving. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I'm not like writing him off or anything at this point in time, but you know, I'm not like going hog wild all, all the same. Um, but I don't think it was a disaster either. You know, I thought it was just fine, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm not so worried about Perry doing the heel one-on-one stick because he's so new at this and he's never been a heel before. Mm-hmm. I saw some growth in how he's presenting himself. I thought the finish to the match against Hook was probably the best thing Perry's ever done in AEW because he's just got a shitty version of a pin. He's basically lying across Hook's chest. And then as the one count hits, he just gets this evil smirk like, haha, sucker. And the little nuances, I think Perry's getting a lot more comfortable. He feels comfortable with the look. The look is good. I think the heel one-on-one stuff is fine right now because he's still learning, but let's, let's see how he continues to grow and build off of it. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not writing him off or anything and I don't think he's done like a, a bad job really. I think he's, he's carrying himself well as a heel. Uh, I don't know if he'll get to like main event promo level or anything, but something to watch going forward. Um, uh, let's see. Um, you want to talk about um, the Chris Jericho storyline that's going on right now? I think we have to. Um, I think it's blatantly obvious that Chris Jericho is going to end up joining the Cows family. And I think that this is the time to break up the JAS. I think you have Daniel Garcia who's ready to bust out and become a real star. Sammy Guevara is, has been living under Jericho's shadow for the better part of four years. And these guys can all do something different and more exciting. I think that's a very important thing right now to have these guys grow and evolve and do something different. You don't have to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And Jericho knows how to reinvent himself. I think him with Don Callis. Plus, it's not like Callis is some rando. They have a lot of history together from their time at Winnipeg, I believe Stampede Wrestling, ECW, they, I think they did some stuff overseas as well. This is these are two guys who have known each other for years. That's why Omega and Callis had that connection from their time in Winnipeg. It matters. History matters in this company, and I think this would be a really good next stage for Chris Jericho. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the JAS has largely run its course, um, so it's. I think it's the right time to kind of shift him over to something else. Um, I'm curious. Get Daniel Garcia a title shot within the next six months. I want to see him in a world title match. Yeah. He uh, shouldn't win. I want to see him in as a title challenger. Hell, they gave Jack Perry a title challenge relatively early. You remember that, that 10 minutes with Chris Jericho? Oh, Jericho. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like, you can give guys shots. They can lose because there's so much ambiguity with where they're at and they're not ready to get the mega push. Ricky but Starks a, with MJF last year. So 
Yeah, well, Starks is already ready for the mega push, but yeah, he was, that match but... was great. Like, you can do that. And I think that's awesome. And I think Garcia is ready to be that guy. Yeah, and I, I would uh, now. Here's the thing: with if Jericho leaves to join Callus's group, then um, the idea of the rest of JES kicking him out and like renaming it or something uh, doesn't really work because Jericho getting kicked out of his own group would be a face thing, and of course, allying with uh, uh, allying with um, Don Callus would be a heel thing. So I'm not entirely sure how that will go, uh, but I. I would personally, you know, book it like Jericho decides that he doesn't want to align with Don Callis. Uh, tries to go back to the Jericho Appreciation Society and they turn on him. And then, you know, like Danny Garcia becomes the leader of that group, in my mind. Um, because he is, after all, a sports entertainer. Um, so I think that would be uh, the way to go. Who knows what exactly they're going to do, obviously. But I don't know. I, I like the idea of the tension and everything, and we'll see where it goes. I think the intrigue is there. Chris Jericho understands this business so much, and he he knows how to manipulate an audience. He knows how to invoke emotion. I'm very excited to see how this develops. Yeah. Um, And then finally... Uh, the other big thing to talk about, I think, was Adam Cole and MJF. Uh, they did a promo hyping their match with FTR this Saturday on Collision. And mm-hmm. uh, in it, MJF promised Adam Cole a future world championship match. Um, so in a total B-face move, um, they've got to be... If they, if they turn MJF heel after this, I think at this point it's approaching malpractice. Um, I th- I think they have to keep him babyface, and I, I I honestly think the right way to go is to have Adam Cole turn on MJF. I think they need to. We talked about it last week. It's time to make MJF a babyface. He's so over. Look, he's phenomenal as a heel, but Adam Cole's not a great babyface. His name is fun to chant, but he's incredibly more interesting as a heel. Yes. It's time. And then you can take the belt off of a babyface MJF and tear him down to the studs and rebuild him and let him go back after that world title win in a couple years. I think think, that story has a lot of merit to it. And it would be really interesting to see him do and take that path. Yeah. I'm not saying this is definitely going to happen. I'm saying it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see MJF in one year's time being the biggest biggest baby face in professional wrestling. Absolutely. It, you um, know, here's what I think they should do. When Ben K lost the, the Open the Dream Gate title after his, I think his first and maybe only run with it. Yeah. He The next night, because I think he won it at Kobe World. I think he lost it at Final Gate. But the next night, he was in the opener, and he lost and they sent him all the way down the card, and he's had to work his way back up. And he's gotten a title challenge. But that construct, I think, would work awesome. That, for... that could be a hell of a storyline with MJF. Um, and have him have to kind of confront his shittiness on his way up to the title and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I could, I, again, uh, if I were to put like a percentage on it, like 
I probably wouldn't go over 25 just because so many things can happen and everything. But I think I think that if they do this right, if they put MJF as the baby face, they put him in the right storylines and treat him right, they could genuinely create a massive baby face that could actually really push AW's uh, business upwards. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's really intriguing. I, you know, there's so many things that could go wrong in a year's time. So many different directions. They could decide just to keep them heel. I know that they did a tease last year that MGF was going to go babyface and aborted it pretty quickly after a couple weeks. Uh, they could just decide to do that here um, because he is very good as a heel. Don't get me wrong. But I think, honestly, there's like a there's a glimmer of some next level stuff, like some legit could be the biggest star in pro wrestling stuff with MJF. And if they can handle this right, this turn right and everything, I think he could uh, get there pretty easily, honestly, uh, just in terms of his skill level. I think the ultimate end goal here would be MJF, Kenny Omega. Because look, be, yeah. Kenny's super popular, <laughs> but Kenny is a heel. It's far more interesting than Kenny as a baby face. And I, I love like Kenny as a cartoon heel, like the cleaner. When he came back to New Japan at Wrestle Kingdom and he got that look in his eyes. Yeah. Like that, that Kenny Omega versus MJF. That that's arguably the biggest match AEW has, and they have never spent any time in a ring together. Not a second. Yeah. That's that will be that, a, that a huge what you build up to. That will be a huge, huge moment, I think, um, when it does happen. Yeah, it's that could be how you utilize this face turn for MJF. And we can stop fantasy booking now, but I, I do think that it's really, 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 really interesting. Yeah. Um, only other thing I really want to talk about with Dynamite is that outside of Taya and uh, Britt, uh, every other match was good. I don't know that any are like top shelf stuff. Um, let me just pull up my handy dandy uh, notebook here um, or spreadsheet, really. Uh, yeah, the highest I went was four and a quarter for Darby and Swerve. Those two are always awesome together. So, But everything else is like in that three and a half to three and three quarter range. Solid show um, outside of like just a really dreadful uh, match um, and like a kind of iffy promo. Um, you know, I mean, outside of about half an hour, uh, that was a damn good dynamite. I, I loved, I do need to talk about this actually. Um, the aftermath of the first match on the show, Air Fox and Orange Cassidy, um, was absolutely top shelf booking. Uh, they in like five minutes, they had so much cool stuff and interesting stuff happen that uh, that's like a masterclass moment in in professional booking, and that's the shit I love. Um, so basically, after the match, you know, they had the Fox Orange Cassidy match was really solid. It was like three and three quarters. It was a good match. Um, and Orange Cassidy, went, Cassidy wins with the uh, the mousetrap in a really nice finishing sequence where they traded a bunch of moves. They callbacks to prior spots in the match. Um, so right after that, uh, Orange Cassidy gives Fox his lazy handshake, gives him a pair of sunglasses. 
Cassidy turns away, A.R. Fox breaks the sunglasses, and then cheap shots Orange Cassidy, and then immediately goes out of the ring and acts, you know, like extremely upset with himself about doing it. Darby Allen comes running down the ramp and just starts screaming at A.R. Fox about how, you know, you've embarrassed me. This is really embarrassing. I, I gave you, I asked for this spot for you, and, um, and you did this. And so Darby's just super pissed at him. And then Moxley comes out of the crowd and then just murders Orange Cassidy in the ring. Um, they advanced, you know, two, three storylines right there um, with really good stuff um, and set up Air Fox's turn later that show. And what's funny is at the start of that match, I said, I like Air Fox a lot as a worker. I can't see him ever being more than a big Carter in this company. Basically, I could see him being Tony Nese, you know, like a baby face version of Tony Nese, a jobber to the stars who is very solid in the ring and just never does anything else. Uh, maybe gets a little more play in Ring of Honor. Uh, and then this cool as hell night for Air Fox happens, which is awesome for him. I, obviously, he's going to be a lackey to Swerve Strickland, so he won't be the featured part of that group or anything. But I, I love this. Um, Air Fox getting a bigger role in AEW is awesome for him and awesome for the company. And uh, this was cool. This was just, uh, I love that. I thought that was like one of the absolute coolest things AEW has done all year. It was great. It was great. And as I mentioned earlier, kill shot Dante Fox. There's history there too. And wrestling cannons, AEW cannon, nothing goes unnoticed. I like what they're doing with Darby Allen right now. Sting is still there, but yes. they're trying to get him involved in stuff without Sting. They have him with Nick Wayne, obviously the son of Buddy Wayne, who trained Darby Allen. That's going to be a crazy ass trio at some point in the near future. Oh, like I hadn't really so thought great. about that, like in any like real consequence. But like Nick Wayne, Darby Allen, and Sting is some absolute like fire pro randomizer stuff, and I love it. Yeah. Tremendous. And you obviously have the stuff with Darby and Swerve Strickland. They've been feuding for a long time. I believe they started feuding in Defy, which yeah. is up in the Northwest. Did someone evolve, it, right, too, I think? Mm -hmm. The AR Fox thing. Like, we make fun of people for like, oh, like, you need a video package to get this. But sometimes a quick video package oh, no. yeah, exactly. tells you all the context. And the video packages they've done with Darby over the last few weeks to build up Nick Wayne and now to explain the AR Fox stuff. It's not – these video packages aren't treating you like you're dumb. They're just – it's a quick informative bit and the production is tremendous. This is, this is just great pro wrestling one-on-one. Yeah. I, I love this so much. Um, uh, before we finish up the show, I do want to, you want to run through a little preview of like a mid year and we're using that loosely since it's now the end of July. Um, I know how calendars work, but you want to do like a mid year preview of the wrestling observer awards. Yeah, let's run through some stuff. Cool. So let's start with the Category A's, which are kind of the biggest deal. Uh, we're going to skip uh, MMA because I don't care about that shit. Um, so, of course, the big one is uh, basically the MVP award, uh, Luthez and Ric Flair. Um, last year's winner was Sean Moxley. Uh, someone associated with AEW has won it every year since 2019. 
uh, Chris Jericho, Moxley, Omega, and then Moxley. Um, what are your thoughts on this year's candidates? So the Lou Fez Ric Flair is just in ring work, right? It is no, perfect. no, that's most outstanding. Uh, Fez and Flair is everything uh, in ring. It's uh, presence, angle is important to a company, all the stuff. It's Roman Reigns, right? I th- it, it feels like <sighs> it's it just to lose. I think at this point, like it, we make fun of the bloodline stuff because it's they basically been drawn out for three years. But you cannot deny that it's over with the fan base mm-hmm. and it's doing numbers. They're selling buildings out. They're doing tremendous television ratings year over year. It's a massive success at this point. Now, oh, yeah. it's an accidental success because of how they got to this point, but it's a success nonetheless. And the Roman Reigns matches have been good. This is arguably the best stretch of wrestling that Roman Reigns has had in his career. Are the matches stylistically for us? Not always. The mid-match theatrics, not mm. for me. But the quality of the in-ring work is the best that we've ever seen from Roman. And I give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I, I really think it's his to lose, especially when you talk about the drawing. WWE was in the shits. Roman Reigns wasn't even a good draw. Like, Remember the MSG house show? They oh, yeah. announced John Cena because they couldn't clear 7,000 tickets, and that's the territory. That's yes. their that's WWE's mecca is Madison Square Garden. Like Bruno San Martino sold out Madison Square Garden like once a week for like 10 years. That matters. And he's turned that around and become arguably the biggest draw in American television wrestling. Good for him. Yeah, uh, look, I've always liked Roman Reigns. I actually think this is the least I've been interested in his work, in his career, as far as an in-ring performer. Um, I, I think, you know, that even at the lower parts of his, you know, super babyface push that didn't really work, I thought that that was, uh, that he was at least a capable of putting on very strong WWE-style matches. They were like four, four and a half stars. Um, he, um... But, you know, he's still, you know, at the center point, the fulcrum of the biggest promotion having uh, arguably their biggest year in 15 or so years. Um, and uh, that's a lot of credit to him. I do think there are arguments for other people. Um, uh, that's a lot of questions about that, um, you know, about like who would you put forward? Uh, New Japan, I mean, you could put forward Osprey or Okada. I don't think either really stands a chance. Um, I mean, with Okada out of the title picture, you know, he's obviously been like the centerpiece of the company. He's their protagonist. Uh, but I don't think that you, I mean, I don't know that there's good enough business from them, you know, to do that, uh, to make that argument really work. Osprey is a fantastic worker, but, you know, he hasn't really been a main eventer, um, you know, consistently. You know, he, 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 I don't even know he's like, could be considered the number two guy in New Japan right now. I think the big thing with Osprey isn't going to necessarily be his New Japan work. It's going to be his drawing power whenever he goes and wrestles in different companies. Yeah. And that's where I think you're going to make his argument because that Copper Box show, once they announced it, like Red Pro does what, like, uh, your call is like 800. So that sounds about right. I don't know the numbers offhand, but that sounds about right. 
we'll have to double check with our rest experts, but I think when they announced the copper box, the only match they announced was Shingo and Will Ospreay. And I think they sold 1500 tickets off the jump. Yeah. Now That's I will more than pretty much every other uh, show that rev pro has done all year. And I think when you look at those numbers and you look at all the indies and how he's drawn at those indies compared to their other shows, I think that's where you'd be able to potentially make a case for Will Ospreay to win this award. I have not done all the research, but when you think about how many places he's wrestled and how many things he's done, that's that's your runner-up or potential winner. I I don't disagree with you. I will say that argument will not have much traction with majority of voters because I agree. They don't care about smaller companies. They care about companies the size of New Japan and AEW. Anything lower is um, is not really considered. Like I remember when some people tried to push for Chris Hero to win uh, uh, Thez Flair back in 2015, I think it was, during his big indie run. Uh, and that just like realistically did not go anywhere. Uh, what you do has to be in a major company. Um Otherwise, like you'd have people making arguments for like Kento Miyahara and otherwise and like he'd be making real runs at the award. But all Japan's business is so small these days. Uh, it's not looked at as a major company and that's not big enough to make the difference. Same with Dragon Gate. Um, like that's just not a big enough company to pierce that um, kind of veil of like what the voter the most majority of voters will look at and of course mexico is just completely ignored except for when like mystico got so hot he couldn't be ignored in 2006 but yeah I, I, it's but i think cmll like you know should be looked at like they're having an absolutely fantastic year and uh, maybe mystico deserves a look or um Bullador jr for his work with rocky romero or you know Templario, like there's or Teton, there's a bunch of guys there. I just don't think that there's anyone strong enough yet to make that argument. And like CMLL is not doing 2006 business, and it feels like that they have to to be to get yeah. that kind of attention from the. Voters. And I'll say this: um, Ricardo Gallegos, who co-hosts Los Lucha Jobbers on this podcast network, lives in Mexico and understands the business side of things down there more than anybody. Uh, yeah, he said that. It's CMLL Friday nights are a big tourist attraction. Yeah. So it's just going to a Lucha show for tourists, not necessarily that they're drawing really well. So I don't even think you could credit Atlantis Jr. or Mystico or Rocky Romero Volador Jr. for the business because of that fact. It's too messy and too much of a variable for me to be able to actually have that kind of conversation. It's it's not to say that they're not doing great business. They're selling out Arena Mexico every Friday night. Yeah, yeah. It's the why behind it when you're talking about the context of this award. I just don't think you can have a real conversation with anybody from CMLL. Now, I will say that I also think uh, Mystico is, uh, has been in the main eventer for their past, what is it, four weeks now, five weeks of sellouts in Arena Mexico. So, you know, they weren't so selling why out. Why are they sellouts? It's not well, because Mystico's on top. I disagree it, with that to some extent. Mystico. I, I, 
the the, the tourists help with all this. Yeah, yeah, it. we'll have to talk with an actual expert. But my understanding is that the tourists make up a lot of the business, but the the variation is the response from the actual CML fans. And it's my understanding that these past four sellouts have all had Mystico on top. Um, so in that circumstance, I think that's a point in his favor. Uh, well, you know, I don't know that anyone from CMLL is sticking out enough to, uh, to really be worthy of the award at this point in time, but I could see someone having a massive end of the year and maybe getting into a position where you should look at them. Uh, AEW wise, um, you know, I'm not even sure who to point at, um, between injuries, the fact that uh, MJF's uh, Four Corners storyline, or Four Pillars, I should say, did not really succeed. Um, you know, is it like Mox or Omega again, or Danielson? I mean, Danielson's going to be out a solid chunk of the year. Moxley's kind of played second banana to him in BCC. Omega's missed a chunk of time, too. So I just don't think there's a great AEW candidate. Uh, at this point in time. Again, there's half a year. We'll see how that goes, but that's kind of my read on it. Yeah, it's... it's CML just rocks, and yeah. I'm glad that CML is good again because pandemic hit it pretty hard. Um, let's talk about uh, Most Outstanding. Yeah. And I think, to me, there's one real candidate, and you might as well rename the award after him. His name is Will Ospreay. Look at who he's having great matches with, how many companies he's having great matches in, and he's pulling four and a quarter star matches out of a washed, effortless Kenta. It, it, I don't think there's anybody else he could argue for most outstanding than Will Ospreay. It's not just about the quality. It's also the quantity of the quality. Nobody's having as many great matches either. You could talk about Omega, who's peaked just as high. Obviously, the two matches with him and Will Ospreay have been two of the best matches ever. But the amount of them matters. Yeah. And I don't think you can give it to anyone else. I will point out that Ospreay has missed about, what, two months, three months of this year? Which matters a lot more now than it will. It was like a month. Assuming he's healthy. Um but and this is, of course, even so, like if you hit 11 months of how many Will Ospreay matches you get, is probably yeah. going to be more than most of the candidates, anyways. Right. Um, I will say that I have completed the numbers for my cage match, uh, who's had the best matches deal that I do every year, or at least what I did last year. And I'm also bringing back this year. Um, I will say Osprey is not number one. Um, I'm not going to blow my load because uh, I want you know, people to read the article, but just, just for some, uh, you know, examples here, one guy that I think needs to be looked at is Mike Bailey. And he's a, he's a, I just going to sound wrong, but he's a quantity over quality guy because, um, his, his matches are all very good. You know, like there's notebook matches that he's had a lot of this year. Um, that's a weird sentence structure me. Uh, but he's, he's having a great year, but, Here's just to give you the idea of what we're looking at. This is through June, so the G1 doesn't count or anything. But uh, in terms of just matches that qualified on cage match, Okada's had 17. Uh, Osprey's had 12. Zack Sabre Jr.'s had 24. Uh, Julia, who's the top uh, woman on the list, has had 15. Hiromu's had 22. Mike Bailey has had 43 qualifying matches. 
Speedball's a good candidate too. He's a workhorse. He a lot of the stuff is in indies. That's going to hurt his candidacy. I think it hurts him less for Mouse Dow Sanding than it would for anything with uh, the the Flarethez one. But I think you know if he's able to keep up this pace, I think he deserves a look. Um, I don't think he'll win just because he's he's doing his stuff in like Impact Mobile and below outside of the best of the Super Junior. Um, but he's working everywhere. He's working every indie he's in, uh, and he's doing great performances everywhere. So that's a guy I would look at. Other than that, it's a bunch of traditional names like Hiromu, Okada, Moxley, Omega, Bakingo, I think is a good pull. Um, one guy that's up here that I didn't expect is Cano, um, actually for Noah. Um, he's had a a great year. Good year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I do think in, in the end, Osprey is a very good favorite. He's probably going to end up with the best G1, um, and that that will definitely boost him with the voters, and he'll end up uh, being a big part, I'm sure, of Wembley. Um, I'd be shocked if he wasn't. So, now I think, you know, if he does get lined up opposite Chris Jericho, that's not exactly going to be uh, a rematch with Omega, but, you know, it'll be variety, and you could, that could help him, too. Um showing that he can work different styles of matches, but I think he's a, you know, it's probably him with the leader as the leader of the clubhouse, you know, at this point in time. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one to continue to track. Yeah, for sure. Now here's an interesting one. And I, I think it's interesting because of a relative lack of candidates compared to the past couple of years. Uh, Tag team of the year. And I say that's interesting because uh, Aussie Open was inactive for a long time because of Mark Davis's injury. FTR has not done a lot. They had time off at the beginning of the year, and then since then they haven't been in like too many big matches, excluding the Bullet Club Gold ones. Um, the Young Bucks have been relatively less active. Um, honestly, uh, I think my pick at this point in time uh, might be Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Uh, they're having a, a strong, like they're just about the in-ring MVPs of WWE on this year. Um, and how many matches, matches have they had as a tag team? Like six? Uh, it's more than that. I mean, they've been the champs for a long time now um, since WrestleMania, so beginning of April. So they've yeah, had two. they've had a four month reign at this point. Uh, I have um, shoot. Let's see. Uh, let me, uh, I'll work on this some more. Who are some other candidates you can think of? Um, and, and with them, it's more just the fact that they've been heavily pushed and featured regularly uh, rather than necessarily them being like an all-time candidacy. Um, looks like in my spreadsheet, they've had about, excluding any kind of six mans uh, where they are part of a team together as well. They've had about 10 tag matches uh, that are high profile and everything. So I think that, you know, that's enough to show that they're a key part of WWE right now. Um, They're one of the most overacts in that company. That's the number one company in the world. Uh, I think that, you know, I'm kind of leaning towards them at this point in time. Uh, Again, a dearth of competitors, it plays a big role here. Um, you know, I, I think uh, 
I, I've loved the Young Bucks work, but you know they are lower on my cage match study than um, what I would personally have them as. Uh, so if I'm trying to project here, you know, I I don't know, you know, they'll they'll finish well, and you know the Usos are also going to be a candidate because of their role in the uh, Bloodline storyline. Um, but I I don't know if they're really doing regular enough high level work to get that. You know, FTR or someone else could Aussie Open could heat up with a strong end of the year, but. At this point in time, I would guess if voting was held today, that it might go to Owens and Zane. What about Bishamon? They're solid. Uh, they're a good candidate. Uh, let me look where I got them here. Um, look at the match against Okada and Tanahashi from the anniversary. Oh, no, show. that was a fantastic match. But uh, I will tell you that neither Goto or Yoshihashi is in my cage match top 50. For tag that, teams? For, for just general workers. Now, if they're ta- for the individuals uh, but that includes tag matches and stuff too so yeah but if we're like i don't want to discredit your work but i think if you're talking about a tag team award it should just be based on tag matches so i'm not super concerned that they're not in the top 50 when you include singles matches goto is i wouldn't say he's washed but he's not what he once was and it's yoshihashi those who are more invested in new japan think hot more highly of yoshihashi than others because in a vacuum, Yoshihashi's fine-ish, but he's a lot better when you understand like Yoshihashi and how he's grown and evolved throughout the course of New Japan. So in this context, I, I it's it's about being a tag team. And Bishamon yeah, has been right. really, really good and peaked at great. Some people gave that match five stars for the anniversary show. That's that's where but I'm j- at. Just for comparison, last year, um, at the end of the year, once you know everything finished up, I mean, Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis were tied for 14th in my cage match thing. Uh, Nick Jackson and Matt Jackson were both in the top. Well, Matt Jackson was 21st, but they were both in the top 21, I guess, technically. Um, uh, Cash Wheeler was 29th. That was the low guy from FTR because, you know, Dax did his little, you know, vote me most outstanding guy. Uh, gimmick. Uh, so like it's not a compared to last year, it is not a super strong year. So I think that's just something to consider. Uh, but I do think, um, I might lean towards Zoans and Zane. Yeah. It, it, uh, one tag team that I will mention claimed has, has had a good year. Uh, the, they, of, they're lacking the matches. titles for very long, but every time they're in the ring, they perform like I, I don't think their candidacy is as strong, but by the end of the year, maybe it is. It's a team to keep your eye on. I, you know, I think they could get there because they're still one of the most over acts. I'm underwhelmed by their in ring half the year so far. Um, I just don't think it's a, at that level. But if they got a heavy push and were featured regularly, they could get there. I just wouldn't bet on it. I think. Um, it seems like they're kind of moving in a different direction, if I were to guess. Uh, best on interviews. Reigns is going to be a strong candidate because of the bloodline. Um, it's not for me, but, you know, MJF as the world champion for the first half of the year and as someone that heavily relies on his mic work. Um, uh, you know, um, I honestly 
Christian Cage, I think, should be looked at. Which award was this again? Best on interviews. Oh, Christian Cage. Oh, my God. He's so good. MJF, obviously, he's a candidate every single year. Yeah. Don um, Callis. I think Will Don Ospreay. Callis is been so over as a heel that I think he has to be considered. Uh, Osprey is a strong one. Zack Sabre Jr. with his promo skills is a strong one. Um, if they do more with Jay White, I could see him climbing up that. I don't think he's a top contender at this point in time because half of his AEW run was like promo list for some reason. John Moxley? Moxley's a strong one. Danielson? Um I think a lot of uh, AW guys could be contenders. Um, I would probably pick Don Callis, I think. Um, I don't... Just as much of a heel as he was, uh, he's still super over as a heel, but I mean, the last time that he just came out to do a on-screen promo, it could not be heard, essentially. Um, I mean, he's just uh, fantastic. Uh, next one is promotion of the year. Um AW has won the last three years. I don't think they're the leader right now. It's uh, my take. I actually think uh, that you could make argument. I think it's kind of a toss up. I think there's a big four of AW, New Japan, WWE, and CMLL. Uh, I think those guys all have to be looked at as strong contenders. You could probably make an argument for stardom. Uh, but I don't think there's like an obvious pick here at this point in time. Yeah, there really isn't an obvious pick. I mean, WWE's business is way up there. They're the number one company in the world. So those are strong things in their favor. AW, despite some cold spots, is still week to week a generally a great promotion. New Japan has felt like New Japan for the first time since the pandemic. And CMLL is just like doing great business, you know, regardless of tourists or not. Yeah. I mean, they've always had the tourist business, at least for the past several years. So, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it just feels different right now. It feels like they're actually hot, and uh, that should be looked at that way. I 100% agree. Um, Who would you pick of those for? I, I honestly, I don't know. I think I might lean New Japan uh, personally, uh, but I, if I had to pick a winner, I would guess WWE. I I can't pick WWE because no matter how good the the business has been and how over the top of the card is, most of the rest of it stinks. It's bad. Yeah, you've got and to sit through I, a lot of crap. You really do. New Japan has had a lot of great work. Business has picked up a little bit, but it's still not great. But the in-ring work is probably the best of any company out there right now. AW's got a really good shot still too because the business has been good. They I think Wembley's going to be a massive feather in their cap, especially if it does well at the box office and the card ends up being really good and delivers. Right now, Wembley's already a major success. If yeah. no fans show up and the wrestling stinks. Why? 9 million bucks, baby. Right. 9 million bucks. That matters. You combine all of those factors, it'd be hard for me not to give it to AEW. But the nice part is we have five more months to figure it out. 
Yeah. Uh, but I do think it's quite wide open right now. Uh, really, yes. you know, I mean, WWE's probably leading, I, I would guess, among the voters, but I don't think I would vote for them just by personal preference. Uh, but I think it's a lot can happen, and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Based best... on the top of the of what WWE is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but there's so much junk that it it levels it out too much. Where I don't think there'll be a great candidate. I think that's our personal view. I think uh, if I were to guess what the voters will do, though, I think right now, if they were to vote right now, it'd be WWE. I think they'd end up winning of those four. Okay. Uh, best weekly TV show. Um, Dynamite. Would you vote Dynamite or Collision? I mean, Dynamite. I know Collision just started, but Dynamite. Okay. Dynamite. Okay, cool. All right. I don't think Collision is going to have enough to really warrant any true votes. It's not even. It's going to have six months. I don't think that's enough to give it a, a real fair shake in a, in a conversation like this when everything else is going to have twelve. I I couldn't do it. SmackDown is going to get votes because of the bloodline stuff. SmackDown's a contender here. If we're talking about uh, the bloodline and WWE being yeah. as good as it is from a business perspective, SmackDown's ratings are up significantly. Uh, what, a couple weeks ago, they did 2.5 million viewers and they hadn't touched 2.5 million except for, I think it was like Christmas. Yeah. And that was, and they had the Viking Saints lead in game in 2020 from that. Yeah. And week two of SmackDown, I think, did 2.4 after week one did 4 million. So, that's a huge feather in their cap. That's they just had their biggest, number. and they just had their biggest FS1 number ever, uh, which I mean, granted, is not as big of a, uh, as a Fox number, but the point is, like, it shows that they're the highest they've ever been. It's a very impressive number for FS1. I think it was like right. 1.25 million. That's huge, mm-hmm. considering it's not even the channel they air on. So I think there's a strong argument for SmackDown. Again, it's not for me. It's not what I would pick, but I wouldn't be shocked if they end up winning. I think this one will be a little more torn. Uh, the SmackDown will be boosted by its place as the premier WWE show in terms of ratings and everything, and also the bloodline. Uh, but, I mean, I think uh, there will be a lot of fans that subscribe and vote that prefer the AEW style, so that'll be interesting. Yes. Um, I'm going to skip match of the year. That's a whole other discussion, and like, there's so many candidates that it's hard to pick. I'm also going to skip like the country slash continent specific uh, MVPs. Um, I am going to go to um, most improved. I think that's an interesting one to discuss because I have a candidate in mind um, that I would push for. I have one that I think will be pushed and I would never in a million years vote for them. Uh, I would never vote for it, but I think we'll end up getting a lot of votes is Dominic Mysterio. Oh God. Uh, you're, I, I just, you're right. Yeah, I'm just telling. Not. This is just me reading the tea leaves. I think he'll be a strong candidate in this award. I would definitely not vote for him. I, I would. I am so underwhelmed by him in every way. I think basically he's leaning on Rhea Ripley. Uh, I think a lot of that can be credited to Rhea Ripley. Um, and like he's done his role and everything, but like I, I would never want to watch just sit down and like clap my hands together, turn on the TV and watch a Dominic Mysterio match. Uh, My candidate that I would favor is Willow Nightingale. I think she's uh, stepped up big time. I think she's really improved as a worker and uh, I think she's a future superstar. I'm out on Willow Nightingale for this award and this is going to sound weird. I don't necessarily think she's gotten better per se. 
I think she's had more opportunity to shine. That's fair. And uh, like when you're talking about most improved, to me, it's she's just gotten opportunities. It's not that she's gotten significantly better and made these great strides. She just had shots. And sometimes that's all you need as a wrestler. That's fair. That's fair. I, I'd consider giving most improved a show to Amino. Okay. Going from basically being sent home from RevPro because he got fat. And now his performance in the G1, which uh, admittedly you haven't been able to really catch yeah, up I on Yeah, I can't yet. comment on that. Yeah. His fire is there. He's gar- starting to feel a lot more comfortable in his role. He's having great matches. And his elevation is coming at a perfect time for New Japan. I would give it to Shota. I think he's he's the guy. And I know Rich Krejci from the flagship has been really hard on Shota. And a lot of what he says has been very fair. But he's constantly improving. And whatever happened in Rev Pro lit a fire under his ass. I don't know if he got a, like a cattle prod or something just whipped into his head. Something flipped. And he's figuring it out. And I think the constant interactions with Moxley with Okada is starting to rub off on him in different ways. And he's, he's made a lot of improvement because he was the, that one young lion from that group that everybody thought was going to be this mega star. And he's starting to really show that star charisma and the work he matches it too. Uh, I'm trying to think of other candidates at this point in time. Um, I don't know that anyone from Dragon Gate has actually improved enough. Like Madoka, like all their young guys have been good for at least a year now. Uh, what, what about Wheeler Yuta? Uh, that's a good one. Um, I don't know that I would have thought of him because I thought he was already great. Uh, Daniel Garcia is another one uh, we could look at, I guess. Now, uh, I, think- I mentioned Yuta, but... Could he be put in the same category as Willow Nightingale, where it's more just about opportunity for, than actually for me, improving? Yes. That that is a hundred percent my take. Uh, even more so than Willow is. I think both of them um, have been great workers. I I consider them like top fifty wrestlers in the world for the past couple of years. Um, so I'm not. I don't know that I could really say they're improved. Um, this is a really tough one because I'm going through my best matches list and um, I don't know that I have anyone that I feel confident enough to, to back here. Cause you know, my, my people that I have highly rated matches for uh, largely are just uh, the usual suspects. Like they're people that I don't think step forward this year. Uh, they are people that have already had great years. Uh, maybe Yoda Suji. Uh, you know, possibly he hasn't done enough yet, but uh, Amina is a guy. Um, but yeah, when I'm, I'm scrolling through and it's just like veteran after veteran, I don't know that I have a great most improved candidate here. One to watch for is Nick Wayne. Yeah, Nick Wayne's now an he, obvious pick. Now he has the platform for more people to be exposed to him. And being that he's 18 years old, if he just has a dynamite back half of the year for AEW worth keeping an eye on not not he's not there right now but worth keeping an eye on yeah, jordan oliver should be a candidate too but he, he's not you know, nick wayne right uh, he won't only be a dynamic candidate for the second half of the year he might also be a collision candidate wow <laughs> wow friend <laughs> i'll give you credit that was good i gotta get my shit in um <laughs> 
I think other than that, I mean, and, and like with Nick Wayne, I, he, he's like, uh, to me, similar to uh, Willow Nightingale. It's just, uh, I don't know if it's so much improvement as opportunity, um, but sometimes that's part of it too. And that's the tough part with trying to project this award out because how much of it is actual improvement? Right. You have to parse that out before you can actually answer the question. And with so, Daniel Garcia, Wheeler Yuta, I don't think they've necessarily improved a lot. And I, I use air quotes that all of you could see through your audio platforms. It's, we all know podcasting is a visual uh, medium. It really is. Especially when you got these two good looking guys. Hey. Um, okay. I'm going to run through. Let's do like a couple more from the, the B category ones. Um, Perfect. We're running on two hours. So we should. Yeah. We should wrap, we should wrap, wrap it up soon. here. Uh, let's do. Um, here's ones that I always like. So these are horribly named and people always complain about it and people misunderstand it, but Dave's going to Dave. So like these aren't changing, but most, un- most overrated and most underrated. What do those actually mean? They actually mean most overpushed, most underpushed. Mm-hmm. So uh, who would you have as most, let's start, let's be negative first. Who, who do you think is the most overpushed person in wrestling today? That, that's a, that, that's honestly a good question. If I'm going solely by personal interest, Dominic Mysterio for me. Um, that's that's a great one because he's actively bad in the ring. Yeah. Um, you can but he's getting great reactions. That's you know the thing. Yeah. How much of those are real? That's the big question with WWE, but it's it's kind of I think WWE's got to the point where they can uh, they they really are in a position to lead people by. Um, They've conditioned the audience so much. Yeah, pretty much. Dominic Mysterio's one. Taya Valkyrie. Taya Valkyrie's a. It, again, I can't say it given what she did in the Jade feud in the first like quarter of the year. But um, it's after that. It's been. She should have just been pushed out of the territory at that point. If she does not improve, like if this is what we're going to see every week from her, and I, I I saw someone say that she's had the most matches of any any uh, AEW woman wrestler this year, which is. Uh, not what I would have done, uh, but if she has an awful second half of the year, if this is like a precursor, then 100% I, I would favor her. Um, if you want to go um, kind of twisted, I guess, uh, Vampiro, more in the sense of him wrestling at all. I, I That's not Vampiro's fault. That's the companies that book him. That's I wouldn't consider him at all. That, that's probably a better, most disgusting promotional tactic candidate. Um, yes. Triple uh, A, I can't think. I mean, other than other old guys that they've been bringing in, like Cibernetico, and it's only for a couple matches with him. The guys that work regularly there are all usually pretty good, um, even though the promotion is shit. Um, I can't think of another good candidate right now. Uh, maybe Great Buddha, but really that's more of a 2022 thing, and at least he was drawing. Um, yeah. so then we'll flip it around unless you got anyone else you want to put uh, mention here. Um, well, I, I think when, when you have these conversations, I think somebody's going to mention Soraya, but she herself really hasn't been pushed. She's no. a part of the pushed act, but the real push is going to Tony storm. Yeah. So I, I, I think, think early on her. in her AW run, you could make that argument, but now I, I think you're a hundred percent right. Yeah. Um, I can't most think of anyone. Yeah, oh, most underpushed. Fun. Uh, you oh. could pretty much go half of the WWE roster yeah. is the most underpushed, but in reality, 
like it's honestly a really good question. You could talk about Kento Miyahara. I mean, I don't think no, no, you can't include him because he's the guy for all of Japan, even though he's he's like the tag champion now. That's more of a shift of pace, I think, than anything. Uh, I don't think he's been demoted in all of Japan now. Okay, I I'm I'm not also not going to call myself an all Japan expert. It's he's not having like he just had the great match with Nakajima, right? Outside of that, like just within the context of his own company, he feels underpushed, and I know uh, Anzai and Aoyagi have really been pushed hard. Yeah, they're trying to establish Um, But I I wouldn't, I don't think he qualifies. Um, He's still like a centerpiece of the promotion. Um, I'm going to drop a name here. Um, I guess it's really a tag team name Um, the Lucha Bros. My argument being that, you know, after the Death Triangle uh, Elite series ended, they just fell into Ring of Honor, and that's like a black hole. I mean, granted, they were the tag champs there and everything, but still, it's uh, a super cold Ring of Honor company when they could have been featured on AEW TV. I think that's a obvious demotion. Um, I don't even know, if it's just really know that it was a demotion. It feels just like a cycle thing and giving them a break. It I felt s- more of like a working vacation than anything, yeah. but I understand where you're coming from. If it was this me, a- I'd have. I, I'd have Ray Phoenix like constantly hovering around the main event scene. Um, like I'm just that big on him as a worker. Um, you could argue that it's not that for him. So I get it. Um, but I don't know. That's a guy that I always think about with his award when it comes to non WWE people. I'd consider Tai Chi. Tai Chi. I'm shocked. I would have him as the leader of five guys over Sonata. Um, and I know he's kind of like the mouthpiece from them, if I'm not mistaken, but still it's, I don't know. I think, I think he's a candidate this year, just from the new fan I have been able to watch. So he's been so, so, he's so great. good. Remember and when he was like actively bad in 2018, you know, around he wasn't then actively bad. He was, it was very heavy Suzuki goon tactics. Well, I didn't think not, he was bad. He Not could, working like, hard. Yeah, but a switch flipped. Tai Chi has slowly become a top worker in the world. Yeah, he, he's really great. Um, I can't think of any other strong candidates um, other than like Miro. I mean, what? I'm sorry, Miro. Does that count? I think that's really him, like kind of turning he stuff feels down. Self-inflicted. Yeah, but... I I can't count that. To me, okay. um, I mean, people could argue that, and I get it. Uh, you know, you could argue, well, they should have just been like, "Hey, you're a main eventer. We're gonna treat you like that." Um, but I can't go with that. Um, it just feels like too much of, "Hey, here's a mid card thing for you." It's like, nah, I'm good. So. Man, I, I I can't vote. I can't vote for Miro. Um, let's do one more thing um, because I want to get my shit in here, um, as I do like to do. Worst promotion of the year is AAA. there? It's got to be AAA, right? Because you can't vote for right. WWE. They're too hot. Again, even if we don't like the basis of it, it's it's too hot. I think for that spot, um, AEW has been good. Uh, New Japan has been good. Um, CML is successful. CML is doing very well right now. Uh, Impact solid. 
Um, GCW. IWA Mid-South because of all the stuff with Ian Rotten? I mean, that I don't even think makes enough news. Like, yeah, in 2005 or whatever, sure. But, you know, 2023, like, what are they? Maybe the 20th biggest promotion in the world, if that. Like, it feels like there's lots of indies that are way more important to him. Someone could vote for XPW because they're just edgelord shit and not particularly good edgelord shit. But, like, I feel like that's really, like... I've got an axe to grind more than anything. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's triple A. I think it's gotta be triple A. Uh, it's just atrocious um, production booking storylines are just dumb as hell. Uh, people they push are just odd choices. Um, Cameraman attacked on callous because they don't know yeah. what's going on. Yeah. That was actually a security guard really. Um, but still, that was a cameraman. That we we transition from initial reporting, it's a fan to it's a cameraman to I think the reporting from Lucha, uh, from Cubs fan, uh, Lucha blog is that it was a cameraman, uh, or I'm sorry, a security guy. I misspoke there. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, you know, this is uh, those are the awards. I think we did a pretty good preview of it, and uh, I think we can end it there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This is a very interesting process to kind of look at the Wrestling Observer Awards, and we're going to keep tabs on it throughout the rest of the year. And then once award season comes up, we'll give a full preview and review of what happened. And in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. If you are listening on the Voice of Wrestling uh, podcast feed, thank you. Please consider subscribing to our solo feed, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry, to help us continue growing. We want to not just be number one in the country of Turkey. We want to be number one in every country in the world. That's a lofty goal, but we are here for the long haul. You can follow me on Twitter at The Real Forno. You can follow both of us on Blue Sky by searching our names. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Good Bad Hungi. Um, I am Tyler Forno. You can find all of my NFL and Minnesota Vikings content on USA Today's Vikings Wire and the Vikings First in School YouTube channel. And you can sign up for Fred's Patreon, where, as you heard him talk about, There should be content coming up talking about uh, cage match data and the Wrestling Observer Awards. Thank you very much for listening today during our episode post blood and guts. Have yourself a wonderful night and we will talk to you next time. Take care, everyone. Hi, my name is Tyler Fornis, and I am the co-host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hunky here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. Every week, my co-host Fred Moreland and I discuss all the happenings of all elite wrestling and everything going on in the universe of Tony Khan. We talk about Dynamite, we talk about Rampage, and we will talk about Collision when the time comes as well, along with all the appearances outside of AEW from all the best talents in all elite wrestling. This is one of the more cohesive wrestling companies in the entire world, and we discuss every intricacy about it, including the unique booking of Tony Khan that is both a huge positive and a major detriment. Check us out every single Thursday here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.